Thank you for listening to our podcast today from Crossroads, South Arkansas. I am teaching Pastor David Preston, Jr. I pray that the words you hear will bring you closer to God and encourage you as you go through your day and week. Thanks again for joining us. Good morning. Isn't it good to be in the Lord's house? Isn't it good to feel Him speaking directly to you? You know, I think about when we get to heaven one day and the millions and millions of people that will be there and every one of us will be able to have a conversation with God Himself at the same time and He'll be speaking directly to me in the language that I understand and right next to me will be a guy from Russia that He'll be speaking to him in his language and we'll be having different conversations but God Himself will be talking to me. We have a little bit different conversation here because we do it through prayer. We do it through the feelings that, that we get from Him. But one day I'm going to be heaven and I'm going to look Jesus eye to eye. And I have a feeling He's going to reach out and give me a big old hug. And I have a feeling I might just melt right there in His presence. Literally just melt to the ground. Man, what a day that's going to be. What a day. And as excited as I am for that day, it puts even more emphasis on the fact that we have to do our jobs here on earth to make sure as many go with us as possible. Because as excited as I am about that day, as excited as I am about that future, I can't just take it for myself. We have to bring others with us. Which means we have work here to do. What we've been called to do to go out and make disciples, to lead other people to Christ, to have other people follow Him so that they can have that same experience that I'm excited for this morning. That's a job. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. And if we're missing that calling, we're missing the whole point. I can't wait for that here on earth. I can't wait for October 20th. I mentioned this last week and I'm so excited and the Lord spoke to me this morning. And I'm going to call Him probably tomorrow. But on October 20th, Frank Shelton is going to come and do a one-day revival with us. Um, Frank, I, if, you, if you weren't here last week or you don't know who Frank is, he's been in this area a couple times. He literally travels the world as an evangelist. And there is no telling how many people will experience heaven one day because of the work that Frank Shelton has done on this earth. No count. You just couldn't count the number. And he's coming here to do a one-day revival with us, and I'm so excited about that because for our quote, little church, to have somebody with his background and his experience and his knowledge to come is just a blessing. And uh, he's, he's excited about it too, but I really felt like the Lord spoke to me this morning 
And I'm going to call them and say, hey, we're calling this one day revival breaking new ground. Because that's what we're doing at this church. We're breaking new ground. We might not be breaking ground to build a building yet. But what we're doing is breaking new ground. We're starting something new, something fresh, and it's a new beginning, and it's a new start, and we're excited about that, and I can't wait to see what the Lord lays on Frank's heart about breaking new ground. I can't wait to see what He comes and speaks on, on that topic. I can't wait. I'm excited for it. When the Lord gives you something, there's an excitement in your heart, and I can't wait for that. You're going to love Frank Shelton. If you've never heard him before, he will change your life. He will change your life. And the thing I love about Frank the most is it's not that he's going to change your life, it's the fact that he's so humble and realize all that he is is a servant of God just like you. And for all the great things that have happened under his ministry, he's just done it at the direction of God. And he is first to give God all the credit for everything that's happened. He's a humble servant who the Lord has worked through tremendously. I'm working on the details, but we're going we're gonna to promote that day and we want it to be a packed house. I don't know what we're going to call it yet. I don't know. We're not going to pack a pew. We're going to pack the house. We're going to try and we're going to shoot to have the highest attendance we've had on that day. But our goal is to bring people that we know need to hear about Jesus. Yeah. We want to emphasize bringing someone who God lays on our heart who needs to hear about Jesus and needs to know Him. That's who we want to pack the house with. But if you're a Christian, God's going to speak to you that day too. I can promise you that. I'm excited. There's great things happening. We have a lot of visitors here today and it's great to have you guys with us. Um, and we, we hope you come back and, and join with us some more. You know, this is we're just just excited about everything that's going on here. At some point, I got to start my sermon, <laughs> or else we'll be here all day. But I'm just excited. I hope you can tell that. And the great thing about it is, I've seen a lot of preachers get up and act excited, but there's no genuine excitement in their heart. Well, I'm telling you, it's genuine this morning. It's genuine because I see what God's doing here through our church. And that we are breaking new ground. We're breaking down barriers and we're moving forward with His help, not on our own. Amen. Amen. It's a blessing. We started a series last week on the five senses and how we can relate our five senses to our Christian walk. And we talked about last week the sense of taste. And we're going to talk about this week the sense of sight. And I don't know how many of you know anyone who doesn't have their vision, who doesn't have their sight. Um, if you've ever spent time around anyone who is blind or who has trouble seeing, you really gain a respect for them, a compassion for them, but you should also gain a sense of gratitude for what you do have, a sense of, sense of thankfulness. I remember as a kid when uh, my grandparents had chicken houses, Brother Pat, what was her name? <coughs> Laureen Manisa. Pat and Laureen. I could remember Brother Pat. Brother Pat and Miss Laureen, if I'm not mistaken, were both legally blind. Could not see. 
but they would show up to my grandparents' chicken houses and work every day. <laughs> so you can see a little bit, okay? <clears throat> Brother Pat was completely blind, and he would walk up and down those chicken houses with his wheelbarrow and would pick up the dead chickens that he couldn't see. He did all the jobs in the chicken houses that he couldn't see, but he had taught himself how to overcome that lack of that sense in his life. And I remember as a kid watching that and thinking, well, this is crazy. But the older I got, the more I respected what they were able to do in spite of the limitations they had. We too often in life find limitations in our life and use that as an excuse just to not do what we're supposed to do. We find limitations and put a reason and make that as a reason for us to not take care of our responsibilities. Well, this happened to me today, so I better stop. I can't do it. Well, when this happens to you today is when you should exactly push even further to make a way to find that happen. Brother Pat couldn't see a lick and it would have been really easy for him to just stay at the house. They would, yeah, they were at church, yeah. And so it would have been easy for them to just stay at home and not do a thing. And no one would have thought any worse of them for that. Not one person. But they found a way to go out and work. They found a way to be involved. They found a way to do something that doesn't make any sense to us because they were limited by an obstacle. That barrier was in their way, but they knocked that barrier down. They overcame. That's exactly right. Our sight is so important to us. Our eyes is so important to us in our Christian walk and what we do on a daily basis. What you see, what it represents, literally makes a difference in your life. And we're going to talk about that today. Talk about this sense of sight that you have. Confession. When I made this slide, the arrow was pointing in the right direction. And I can't fix it. So just imagine that one arrow is pointing down and not up, okay? Just, just here. But you see it. When I can't see my next step, I have two choices. I either make my own way or I follow the path that God has for me. Because you know, there are times when our next step is confusing. When we don't know where we're supposed to go. When we walk up to the end of this step and it's lit, the lights are shining on it, but I don't know what's on the next step because all of a sudden it's just darkness. And I have to decide, am I going to take that step in faith? Am I going to follow the path that God's directed me on because He's led me literally to the end of this step? Am I going to do what God tells me to do? Or because I don't know what's going on, am I going to turn and go a different direction? We have two choices. And it's literally that simple. We talked about the simplicity of things last week. And it's literally that simple this week. You have two choices. When you're at the end of your road and you know exactly where you are, where does God want you to be next? And your two choices are this. I either follow Him or I make my own way. Now here's the thing. You follow Him, you're doing the Lord's will and you're going exactly where you need to be going. You make your own way and now you're leaving that path that God has for you. 
Now, the great thing about it is if you're one of his, he's eventually going to curve you back to him. But you don't know what you're going to go through between now and that point. So you have to know where you're going even when you can't see. You have to have guidelines. You have to have landmarks to lead you. When Brother Pat was going down the lanes of those chicken houses, he couldn't see where he was going, but he knew exactly how many steps it was to the end. He knew how many steps it was to get past the cedars and the waterers to come back down the other side. He had his landmarks to know where he needed to turn and where he needed to stop and what he needed to do to get the job done. Because if you're literally doing a job walking blindly through it, you're eventually going to run into a wall. And when you run into that wall that you don't see in front of you, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. So you have to do this. You have to decide, am I going to follow God's path or am I going to make my own way? Now, when we look at our earthly eyesight, when we look through our eyes, I've prayed a lot about this and I wanted to add a lot more to this and the Lord wouldn't let me because it's literally this simple. We are looking through two lenses. Lenses are a big thing right now in the education field and a lot of other fields. What lens are you looking at this through? It sounds really official and it sounds really important. But when you look at life through two lenses, you either look through the lens of fear or you look through the lens of faith. It's that simple. When you're looking at life and what's ahead of you, you either look through the lens of fear, and fear can include fear, it can include, include doubt, it can include confusion, it can include uh, just simple not knowing, not understanding, it can, it can include anything that doesn't come from God. So if you look through that lens, you're not going to know where that next step takes you. You're not going to know. Because there's going to be so many walls, so many obstacles in your way that you're not going to be sure what you need to go around, what you need to try to push over, what you need to retreat from because you have confusion in your life. But if you look through the lens of faith, you might not be able to see that next step, but you know you're doing what God wants you to do, so it's okay to take it. Because you're using God and His Word as your landmarks. So just like Brother Pat knew how many steps to take in that chicken house because he knew his landmarks. If I don't know what's right in front of me and I take that step, God is my landmark. And I promise you, if He's the one I'm holding on to make sure I go the right direction, I will not go wrong. It's that simple. If I try to make a life decision based on myself, I will mess it up 99 times out of 100. Because I don't know what's best for me. I don't. I think I do. I think I do, but here's the thing. I don't know God's plan for me unless I seek Him. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It might have been on a Wednesday night, and it's hit home to me so many times this week. Uh, a pastor I heard on a, on a podcast made this statement, stop worrying out loud and calling it prayer. Boy, that one hit home to me when I heard it. Because I do that a lot. I'll sit there and say, God, I've got this going on. I've got this problem. I need this financial help. I need this job to work out. I need somebody to do this for me. I need this, God. Can you help me? That's worrying. That's not prayer. That's worrying and calling it prayer. Yeah, I'm telling God about it, but God's up there like, I know, I know, 
I know. I know. Oh, and guess what's happening next week? You don't know yet, but I know. But I'm listing my problems to God and I'm not asking for His help and His guidance. I can't tell God anything He doesn't already know. I can't list a problem that He doesn't already know about or and He doesn't even know the solution. He already knows the solution too. I can't confuse Him. I can't trick Him. I can't pull anything past Him. But I think I'm so important in my life that i got to tell God everything that's going wrong. That's worrying and calling that prayer. When in truth, I just need to sit there and say, God, you know exactly what's going on in my life and I know you have the solution and I thank you for that. Please keep me focused on you. Please keep me in your word. Please keep me everything about my life centered on you. And if I do that and listen to you speak to me, I know my next step is going to be exactly where you want me to be. Stop worrying and calling it prayer. A simple concept, but man, that's so powerful. Man, it's so powerful. We look either through fear or we look through faith. How important are our eyes to us? When we look through the lens of fear, we're going to share a few verses here that explain why the fear, why the doubt, why all the confusion, why everything <clears throat> builds up. But to do that, you have to understand why the eye is so important. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. This will be our first scripture this morning. Matthew 6, 22. It says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. You see. You let the light in. What's darkness? Darkness is the absence of color. In spiritual life, darkness is the absence of God. Your eye is what let God, lets God in. So what's important about your eye? What do you watch every day? What do you look at every day? Is what you're looking at letting God in or is it putting up a wall letting darkness in? Ouch. I don't like that one. Because I like watching some TV shows. And sadly, there's very little on TV you can watch anymore that lets God in. There's a lot of trash on TV right now. But it's that simple. What you let into your eyes can be keeping God out of your life. Your eye is like a lamp that lets light or provides light for your body. When your eyes healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When you are looking upon God, when your eyes are focused on Him, you are filling your body with light. And I don't think that means any light. I think that means God's light. Because when you have God's light in you, you have His protection, you have His love, you have His care, you have His grace. You have His salvation. You have all these things pouring inside of you. That when that darkness does try to build, it has nowhere to go. Nowhere to go because the light is overshadowing you. If you're in a dark room and you need help, what do you do? You turn the light on. 
And where does the darkness go? I don't really care, but it disappears, doesn't it? I don't make the darkness go away, the light does. And in your life, you won't make the darkness go away, God does. By letting Him into your life. That's how important your eye is to you. It's the eye that lets the light in and fills your, fills your body with that light. So, another thing to look at. Why are the eyes so important? How are important are the eyes or what the eyes see? The eyes are the first thing that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. In the garden of Eden, when all this started for humans, and Satan was in that tree as a serpent that could talk, A snake that could talk. And I hate snakes. If I saw one that had legs and could talk, I'd just be on in heaven. I would die. Right there. But the great thing about it is with Adam and Eve, this didn't catch them off guard. So apparently this was kind of normal. A snake walking up and talking to us would scare us to death. To them, they started talking back to it. You ever thought about that? They were not confused by this animal talking to them. But the snake walked up and said, what are you doing? And Eve said something along the lines of, well, we can eat any of the fruit except for that tree, but we can't eat it and we're not even supposed to touch it. See, she even mentioned one of the other senses, a touch. And so she gave Satan the opportunity to attack that, but he knew there was something more important than even the touch. He went to the eyes. And he says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he said, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God knowing both good and evil. He didn't attack the touch that she mentioned. He went straight to the eyes because he knew that was the temptation that would get him what he wanted in the end. You would be able to see good and evil just like God. How important are the eyes? Satan himself knows it's where to get you first. So when I watch that show week after week that I'm thinking, yeah, I probably don't need to watch this. He knows where to get me first. Through my eyes. He knows where to attack. We know or we have to know how to respond. I think Christians could all probably live in Missouri. Why is that? Because they're the show me state. Christians fall under the trap and we want to see it before we believe it. So show me. God's going to do great things here at Crossroads. Well, that's great, but I want to see it happening before I get involved. Show me. God's going to do great things in my life. Well, God, I need to see it before I can fully believe it. That's not faith. That's worrying and calling to prayer. We have to see things. And we're not alone. One of His twelve was the same way. Do y'all remember that? Thomas had to see Jesus before he believed that He was alive. He had to see it. 
Not only did he have to see it, he said, I got to touch it. I'm going to have to put my fingers in the holes where the nails were. I'm going to have to stick my hand in his side where the spear was. And when I do that, then I'll believe. Well, what he messed up and didn't realize was he was dealing with God. And don't dare God to do something. Because you might not like the response. Because right after he said that, guess who showed up? Jesus did. In the spiritual flesh. Because these people came in. In John chapter 20, verse 25, it said, it says, sorry, it's coming. They told him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen it. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. And Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. And that leads us out of the fear into the faith aspect. And what I want to talk about is this faith. And when you're talking about Thomas' faith, you've heard this before, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing that God has something for you even when you can't see it right in front of you. You believe that God has something for you. And even though you can't see it, you don't have the evidence of it, you know that God has a blessing for you. A blessing. Too many preachers in our society are making a living off of telling people that if you do certain things, God's going to give you way more than you deserve. And folks, that's just not true. God will bless you, but the Bible does not promise prosperity. It promises to supply all of your needs. And do some people end up with more money than others? Yes, but does that mean that God hasn't supplied your needs? I still haven't gone to bed hungry one night. Well, I'm on a diet, so yeah, I'm going to get hungry, but it's by choice. I still have a roof over my head. My children all put on clothes this morning. My vehicle made it to church, and I didn't have to push. <coughs> he has supplied my needs. Would I like to have more money? Well, who would? Who would? But you know what? The Bible promises that God's going to take care of me, not make me rich. And if I get rich, I better thank God for the blessings that He's given us, the extra blessing, and then I better be willing to give back to Him what He deserves and what we owe Him. The substance of things hoped for. What do you hope for? What do you hope for that is a need what do you have in your life that is a need, not a want? There's a difference. My two older kids want a lot. They ask me all the time. They want. They want. And we give them everything we need and as much of their wants as we can. Because I'm their dad. And I want them to be happy. But me dealing with my kids, if I give them everything they need, and a lot of what they want, don't you think that our God, our Father, wants to do the same thing for us? Because as much as I love all four of my kids, I love them more. I can't even put it into words. I love them, and it blows my mind that I don't love them as much as God loves me. I can't love them that much. Because if you walk up to me and say, hey, my friend needs your help, but for him to get the help he needs, you've got to send Timmy to go die. 
I'm like, I'm sorry, friend. I'm not sending my son to die. But God was willing to do that with His only Son. I sat Friday night on the sidelines and I leaned on that fence and I watched my son leaning on his crutches wanting to play football so bad. They had him a chair and it took the opening kickoff. The Junction City ran back for a touchdown for him to be hopping all over the sidelines. He looked at me and said, Dad, this is too nervous. I can't just see it. He wanted to be out there so bad. And I literally felt sick in my stomach. And I had tears well up in my eyes because I wanted him to be able to play so bad and I felt so bad for him. And as much as I hurt for him that day and as much as I loved him, I still looked at him. But you understand the love that Jesus had when Jesus was on the cross and our sins went on him. Our God loved him so much that for a minute he had to turn his back. He couldn't even stand to look at him. And as much as I hurt for my son that night, literally had tears in my eyes, I could not turn my back on him. I still wanted to look at him. I wanted to go help him. If I could have ducked that, take that knee in the position and thrown him out there, I would have. I can't love my kids as much as God loves us. So if I want to do everything I can for them, why in the world would I believe that God doesn't want to do the same thing for us? Why would I not? Why would I not believe that? See, the thing with Thomas was he had doubt in his heart. He had heard everybody that had seen him. We've seen him. We've seen him. He heard Mary and, and uh, come back and say, we've seen him. We've seen him. He heard the disciples come back and say, we've seen him. And he's like, you know what? been around you guys for a long time, but I'm going to have to see it to believe it. You're going to have to show me. And Jesus showed up. And then at the very end, Jesus had the biggest point of the whole time He had there with the disciples and with Thomas. In John chapter 20, 29, it says, Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen Me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing Me. That is faith. Thomas had to see Him to believe what He was told. We are here today because we believe through faith. That is faith. Blessed are those who believe even without seeing. That is us. So whether you believe it or not, you sit here in this church, you believe it, you are blessed today by God. You literally just read it. You think your life's rough, you think you're having problems, you think you have issues, well you are blessed by Jesus Himself. Because you're here and you believe and you have not physically seen. You're blessed. How bad can it be? There's a way out if you follow His path. It's that simple. See, there's two things here that I want to talk about. When we look at life through the lens of fear, we take God out of the picture, and as a result, we die. Spiritually, we die when we take God out of the picture. Sometimes physically, we die when we take God out of the picture. But when we look through the lens of faith, we rely on God for His direction and we live. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You take God out, you look through the picture or through the lens of fear and you die. You leave God in, look through the lens of faith and you live. That sounds pretty good. But see, here's the thing, is that's not me saying that. That's not just something clever I came up with. 
That's biblical because in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says we live by believing and not by seeing. If you want to truly live in life, then believe. Because it doesn't matter what you see because you never know what you see is exactly the picture that's there for you. What you see might be there for somebody else. But if you believe and you have faith in God and you follow the teachings that He's given you, you're going to see what He has for you because you believe. You take God out of the picture and you will live. Why? Because we live by believing, not by seeing. It's faith. You have to have the faith to do what God wants you to do at the moment God wants you to do it. So, how do we live by faith and not by sight? You have to totally focus on God. Do this one time. Go through your Bible. We're going to talk to, throw a couple verses up here that will give us this picture. But go through your Bible and look at how many times it tell, the Scriptures tell you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Not look in His direction. Not look towards Him, but fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and protector of your faith. <laughs> Fix your eyes on Him, the author and protector of your faith. You have to focus on God. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Just one second. Or else I'm going to have to go look it up. <coughs> Got it right here. 2 Corinthians 4.18 it says, <laughs> so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Here we go, 418. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Fix your eyes on what you can't see. That doesn't make any sense at all. I can't see it, so I'm going to stare at it doesn't make any sense at all except for when you look at it at the big picture because what you can't see is exactly what God wants you to see. Because what you can't see means you're relying on Him, not what you can see. And if you fix on what you can't see, you're following God's path because what you can't see are the blessings He has waiting on you just on the other side. That's it. So fix your eyes on what you can't see. Fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone. You know what? That money you have in your bank account that you make an idol. The money you have that becomes a priority in your bank account, it only takes one thing, one something for it to be gone. And if that is your livelihood, if that's why you do what you do, and it's taken away, then what do you have left? You fixed your eyes on that rather than on God. It could be money. It could be your job. It could be your kids. It could be your vehicle. It could be a lot of things that we fix our eyes on because that becomes our prized possession. When our prized possession should be nothing other than Jesus Christ and His salvation. What is taking your focus off of God? It's a simple question. 
The things that we have now will soon be gone, but the things we can't see will last forever. Why is that? Because if you focus on Jesus, you see the things that He gives you, it leads through His salvation to eternal life. And one day when we get to heaven, like we talked about at the beginning of this sermon, and we're looking at Jesus face to face, and we're looking at God face to face, and we're having this conversation with the one and only Jesus, if we've been there 10,000 years, that's like the first second of eternity. It never ends. It's going to last forever. How awesome is that? I can't think of anything else to say. When I was a kid, the thought of eternity lasting forever used to scare me to death. Because in life, we have a beginning and we have an end. So if you're in heaven, it's got to be great. But at some point, God's got to turn the lights off and say, that's it. But that's not it. And the more I grew and the more I grew in my salvation and my Christian walk, I realized that the thought of eternity lasting forever is just another blessing that God gives us. We're going to be walking on streets that are gold and so pure gold that they're going to be crystal clear. Streets of gold so pure they will be clear. The gates around heaven are going to be pearls. Literally, a pearl so big it makes a gate. The walls are going to be lined with jewels. The Bible tells me that He's going to already make my mansion. Just for me. A mansion. What am I going to do with that? My human body wonders how am I going to keep it clean? I have a feeling that if, we, if there is dirt, it's going to be gold dust, and I'm going to want it to stay on my floor anyways. Read about heaven in the Bible and how beautiful it's going to be. The river of life. Can you imagine catching a fish out of there? I have a feeling when I reel it in, it's already going to be a catfish that's filleted and fried. Because in heaven, I'll be able to eat fried fish and I can't wait. <laughs> oh, yes, true. <laughs> if not, that's going to be a conversation me and God are going to have to have. What's up with this guy? My dad used to talk about his glorified body and say, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to be skinny and I'm going to have a full head of hair. Just like everybody else. I don't know what it's all going to be like other than what the Bible says, but I know it's something I don't want to miss. And I know it's going to be great, but I can't stand here and preach about how great heaven is if I don't tell you how bad hell's going to be. And as long as the eternity in heaven is going to be, the eternity in hell is just as long. Just as long. And as great as heaven is going to be, as joyful, as praiseworthy as it's going to be, eternity in hell will be the ultimate darkness, pain, and suffering. You can't have one without the other. But you can guarantee where you will end up in eternity by making a simple choice. A simple decision. Hebrews 12.2, it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, 
disregarding its shame, now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We do this. We do this. What is this? In our terms today, we can just consider that life. We do life by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You want a better life? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You want an answer to your problems? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Things are going great and you want them to stay that way? Keep your eyes on Jesus. We do life. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion. Not the pretty good guy. Not the guy who did okay. The champion who initiates, who starts, and then perfects our faith. We don't have faith until we meet Him. So He starts it. But then our faith grows. I was saved and eternity still scared me. I told you that. But as my faith grew, and He has, is not has, but is in the process of perfecting my faith, that doesn't bother me anymore. Why? Because I've done it? No, because He is perfecting my faith. The things that I live for, the things that I work for, the things that I push for are with Him. And because of Him, and through that, He perfects my faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him. You hear that? The joy awaiting Him. What's His joy? When one day, all those things we talked about that we can't see now, we will see in the future. That's the joy that awaits Him. Because as excited as I am to get to heaven, I'm not sitting at the bus stop right now with my tickets. I want to live a little bit longer. But I can't help but think He's sitting on the throne right now, right next to God, on God's right hand, and He might be up on the edge of His throne saying, is it time, God? Is it time? Can I go get Him? And God's just saying, just hold on. Not yet, son. Not yet. Because the joy that awaits Him is His people, His children coming home. His people, His children coming home is the joy of that And folks, it's almost time. We're running out of time. The joy we have of heaven, the thoughts of heaven, it won't be long until Jesus comes back. There's no doubt in my mind. why I think he might be sitting on that edge of the chair. I have a feeling he knows it's getting close to him. And he's excited. He's ready. I don't even think God's going to have to say a word. I just think he's going to sit there on the stone and just kind of flick his finger. And Jesus is gone. I don't even think he's going to have to tell him to go. It might even just be in line. Get on there. And he's coming. Are you ready? To be ready for Jesus to come is to have accepted Him in your life as your Savior. If you've never done that, folks, it doesn't matter if you've been in church your whole life. It doesn't matter if you've never broken the law. It doesn't matter if you've never sinned because you have. You're just lying, which is a sin. There's only one person that has never sinned and there's the one we're talking about all morning long. It doesn't matter how good you are if you've never given your life to Him. 
then you're going to end up on the wrong side of that eternity. There will be many people that know God that end up in hell. Because they know Him in their head, but they don't know Him in their heart. You have to give your life to Jesus in order to accept that eternity. I'm going to ask you to do a stand with me right quick as we go into our invitation. I request a clip to sing this song because it goes right along with the service. And he had no problem with it and I'm thankful for that. What I'm going to ask you to do right now is if you have not met Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to turn your eyes upon Jesus and accept Him today. Accept Him into your life. Gain that eternity that will allow you to spend forever in heaven with Him. Because I want to see you there. You can be 100% sure. And if you're not 100% sure, you can be 100% sure. So what I'm going to ask us to do is I'd like to ask all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask all of our saved members to say this prayer out loud with us. If you're already saved, this doesn't mean that you're getting saved again. It just means that you are supporting someone who might not be. Because there's comfort and there's strength in numbers. And so my prayer is that if we as a church family are saying this in unison with someone who doesn't know Christ, that they will hear us saying it with them and have the strength to realize they can do it as well. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. If you do not know Jesus, say this prayer. Mean it in your heart. The Bible says that if you admit you're a sinner, you believe that Jesus died on the cross and raised from the dead, you confess your sins, you will be saved. It is that simple. This isn't a magic prayer. This is just following those steps. And the Bible says if you do those three things, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say you could be. The Bible literally says the word will. Will be saved. Let's pray. Pray this out loud with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I love You, Lord. I admit that I'm a sinner. I thank You for dying on the cross for me. I believe that You raised from the dead on the third day. And I know that You're sitting in heaven on the right hand of God. Lord, I confess my sins. I ask You to help me repent and turn away. And help me to live my life following You every day. Thank You for saving my life. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you set that prayer for the first time and you meant it, you will spend eternity in heaven. It's that simple. If you meant that in your heart, you literally just gave your heart to Christ and you will spend eternity in heaven. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast from Crossroads, South Arkansas. If you're in our area, we would love to have you join us in person for a service. Crossroads South Arkansas, reaching, inviting, serving, and expecting.